Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back. I'm here today with Michelle. We are talking about the seven hidden reasons employees leave and um, the books by Lee Branham. So, you know, this is an incredible opportunity. Michelle, you know, I, you and I decided to kind of read this together and kind of talk through some of the principles and purposes why people leave. We've been talking about this for quite some time. And I think um, we really just need to really dive into this book and tell readers what this author is talking about and how we can really relate and how we can support and how, you know, if you're an employee um, who's leaving, you know, kind of let us know on our social media. Any of this is, is relatable to you. So Michelle, like, talk about this book. Okay, so I actually wanted to start with, there's an updated version. So I think a lot of people believe that changing of the times, changing of the world is going to change the big reasons that people leave. But what, well, what I found interesting in the introduction of this book was they used data originally, and then they came back and they worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers, who is a really prestigious external exit interview. They're really well-respected for their ability to conduct great exit interviews. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they pulled this data from many months ago when the book was first written, and then they pulled it recently. And interestingly enough, while the ranking of the items might have changed, the overall top list did not change. And so that's what I really wanted to start with when it came to the book. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was a quote right out of like probably page one. And it says, you know, this book is about the hidden elusive motives that cause employees to question their decision to join your company, start thinking about leaving, eventually disengage, and finally leave. But what I found most interesting was that um, he, just like so many people in HR, put it right out there that it's hiding in plain sight. You know, it's funny how we, the book is called Hidden and Elusive, but if you really talk to someone who is patient enough to understand the culture of your departments or the culture of your company, what you're going to find over and over again is it's not hidden. People just might not be saying it straight out in the exit interview. It's true. And it's interesting because there's still some people that fear, uh, have some fear in the exit interview. Uh, I'm not individuals fear retaliation, but I really think individuals are truly fearing burning that bridge or maybe a referral or reference or whatever the case may be. So it's very interesting. Sometimes you get the full picture in an exit interview and sometimes you don't. Yes. And you know, what's interesting is that's um, part of what Prize Waterhouse Coopers has done is they've actually compared a couple of things. They've compared company exit interviews with this third-party exit interview, even comparing it with what managers believe the top reasons are. And what they find over and over again is these things don't align. One of the stats that stood out to me a lot in the book was specifically around the manager's perception versus the employee's answers. So managers were asked the same questions and they were supposed to 
guess what they believe the primary reasons for leaving are. And then the employees were asked straight out, why did you leave? Managers, 89% of them think it's for money because a lot of times in the exit interview, like you said, people don't tell the truth. And so the easy answer, if someone doesn't feel like telling the truth, is I got a better job, I got a better opportunity, I got a promotion, I got a raise. Yeah, and I think some leaders, um, and depending on how your organization is really structured and set up, some leaders who like enter in separations or get with their HR people are like, oh, they're leaving for compensation. Like it's, but then sometimes we conduct exit interviews and it's like, no, they're leaving because of you. <laughs> right. Yes. Or the lack of training and development. Right. But it's just so easy to say that because that's mm-hmm. a factor that's like null and void. Right. And it's so neutral. If you are worried about that reference or burning a bridge, it's so neutral to just say, I got a better opportunity because almost no one in the world is ever going to feel bad that you moved on for a better opportunity. Now, 88% of the employees listed other reasons than money. Only 12% of them said it was money. And it actually introduces me to a concept, well, actually to two things within the book that I want to talk about. The first is the phrase is push and pull. You've probably heard those, particularly if you are recruiting your HR, is there are some push reasons and there are some pull reasons. Now, another company offered me better money. That's a pull. That's someone outside of the company coming in and pulling me out. Where what we're finding or what they found in this, in the uh, survey data, is that most of the reasons are push reasons. And that truly means that as an organization, you have some control over the reason people are leaving. You just have to get to that root cause. You do. You really need to have some really good conversations supporting it. I think that's why there's just every organization's going at it so many different angles. (laughs) They are. They are. Which... Is one of the reasons that I would tell you by this or a similar book. What I liked about this book in particular is that they offer 54 really easily implementable, most of them zero cost things that you can do to address the seven most common reasons that people leave, which I found very helpful. It's even divided up based on the reasons. Yeah, what's interesting is like even better for organizations like startups or mid-size um, who are really, you know, trying to be, you know, financially conscious about some of their decisions they make, but also try to reduce some of that controllable costs on overtime and turnover and things that they can really impact. Yep. The other thing really from a push and pull, and I'm going to use some examples from my life here. And Maria, I know you've got a couple of examples. You might be able to pop in here. But um, when I first heard them talking, really dividing the reasons into push or pull, I actually thought to myself, that's interesting. I've been pulled three times. So in my job changes, when I was still in corporate America, prior to this adventure with you, my leaving was always a pull. But then I paused. And I'm going to use one example in particular. It's an organization that I work for um, that I love. Love the leaders, love the employees, love everyone, everything about it. 
And I was contacted by another organization to talk to them. But as I started thinking about it, even though they reached out to me, the heart of the matter was still a push. And it's hard for me to say this completely because there's some factors that I've talked about this one specifically on the podcast before, but it was when I left uh, the Wendy's company to go to work for Denny's. Now, the thing is, I ultimately left because there was no growth or development opportunities for me within Wendy's. Now, having said that, I knew that when I took the job. So I don't want to put this on them. But as I was looking at this from that push-pull perspective, it suddenly occurred to me that while, yes, I was initially tagged from the outside, if there had been an opportunity for me to grow, develop, um, expand my knowledge at the Wendy's company, I would have stayed. Just there wasn't, right? And so that's what they're talking about when they say something within your control and what's not within your control. Having development opportunities or learning opportunities is absolutely within a company's control. It is, and you see so many times where companies really don't invest their, oper- their their funds into this area, knowing that like you can get really behind on the curve on this. So when you take a look at technology, if you don't continuously have your employees challenge themselves through innovation and development, this is a huge factor for your employees leaving the organization. And I use technology, but it's really every department because, you know, you can't become an archaic organization. Because that's what happened with other organizations that had been passed by. Exactly. It's the people who they were doing so great in this moment for whatever reason, the world around them changed and they did not change with it. Yeah. Like, like, look, at, look, look at Nokia or Blackberry. Gosh, I mean, they're still around in some aspects, but they did not evolve with this, the cell phone market like other companies did. So, you know, challenging your employees and it's not just technology. Your salespeople have to get ahead of innovation and sell that product and be able to talk through that that uh, with their competitors. So, you know, it's it's really important. Uh, you know, it's always the first department to get cut is learning and development, but it's your one and most influential department in keeping your employees satisfied. Yep, absolutely. They also, like I talked about low cost, um, there are a lot of, you, you've got tangible or intangible. And I think a lot of times what we see with companies is it feels easy to accept that I got more pay answer. You're like, oh, okay, let's raise our salary. And then you raise your salary and you're still not getting people or they're still not saying. Ultimately comes down to the root cause. The other thing that I found It was interesting, mostly that they called it out because I would agree with this statement. I just don't know that most HR professionals say it out loud. It seems that HR knows the real deal of what's going on. And I don't think it's always because we're told exactly. A lot of times we're fed the same line that the managers are fed. But managers are living in this delusion of, hey, you can't keep them all. You're not happy, go. We'll find somebody else. We can't pay any more than that or whatever it is. It's like there's a comfort in that place. And that is not the world that we live in anymore. In fact, they used a really great example. If you 
think about many of the larger companies in the world right now, many of those managers came into that leadership position in the late 80s and the 90s, right? So it puts a lot of people around my age or a little bit older. Well, in the late 80s and the 90s, you, ha- you still had all of the baby boomer generation in the workforce. So you had significantly more people to pull from. Well, today, that baby boomer population is starting to retire, starting to call it a day and get out of the workforce. And it's changing the paradigm of who's available to go to work. And back to your point about staying moderate and updated, if you haven't done those things, then I can assure you, you're not going to pull the newest people or the youngest people into your organization. It's true. You're not. You're, you're going to just not get the talent that you're looking for. And even when you do, you're going to have them turn over and then they're going to write a comment on places like Glassdoor and then you become lower and lower on the employer of choice area. Yes. I love that you brought that up because that was when I other really cool things that I found about this book is there is an entire chapter in the end about what it takes to be an employer of choice and how you can start to move the needle. Learn where you are today, but move the needle to where you want to be as employer of choice. And you know what? Lee is pretty direct in this book, which I appreciate. I know that you do. And he puts it out there that employer choice isn't for everybody. Not everybody's willing to go there. He also makes note that it's not always about your $1,000 bonuses. I mean, look at Amazon. They do $1,000 signing bonuses, and yes, yet many of their warehouses still can't fill their open positions. Okay, so here we go, Maria. You, you want to recap the top seven reasons? I thought about it too, and I thought about saying I wasn't going to give the top seven reasons. I was going to be like, go buy the book because that's the better choice. But then I decided that that made me a jerk. And here we go. Yeah, let's do it. What's the top seven? So first one that I'm going to talk about is the job or the workplace was not how you expected it to be. How often have you seen that happen? Yeah, you know, uh, I get that. You know, some employees, they come to organizations that I've been at and they're like, oh, I didn't anticipate this. I didn't know I had to be a salesperson and customer service. Like I thought it was just, you know, going to be around. So yeah, that's, uh, that can happen sometimes. Uh, I think it really goes to core key points that the interviewer gives to the interviewee on the expectations of the role. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of those that is absolutely an intangible fix. It's going to cost you labor dollars to make the change, obviously, with your managers and your HR department working together. But it's not going to cost you outside money unless that is, unless you have no HR and that is where you have to reach out to someone else. Companies have been pretty creative. Like I remember before leaving FedEx office, um, there was a lot of confusion in the beginning at FedEx office because everybody saw FedEx and they assumed they were being hired to drive a truck, even though they just walked in the building and they saw copy copiers everywhere. They still sort of assumed they would be part of the trucking industry or the transportation industry, not part of retail. And in order to avoid it, 
they put FedEx put together, FedEx office put together a really good kind of um, role expectations where it walked through, if you can't do this with customers, if you can't do this multitasking on a daily basis, if you don't feel comfortable with technology, this may not be the job for you. And it was a great way to really weed out what was good, what was a good fit and what wasn't. The next one that I want to share, and I'm actually going to share an experience from a friend of mine who recently started looking into a great job. So the actual reason is there's a mismatch between the job and the person. Maybe the person is right for the culture. Maybe the person is right for the company, but they're not great at the job that you hired them for. It's interesting. It just happened to me yesterday where a friend of mine reached out and she was interviewing for a job that was within her skill set for sure, but she didn't have quite as much experience in that particular area and had a lot more experience in another area. And so that seems a little vague. So I'll go ahead and lay it out a little bit better. But she has really great experience in, let's say, it depends on what you call it in your company, but operational improvement, Lean Six Sigma, process improvement, ton of really great experience there. And about five years ago, she stepped in the world of HR. Um, So she's probably got 15 years of experience in that process improvement place, about five years of experience in HR. And during the interview process, the person noticed talent. She noticed a great fit for the culture of the organization. And she just simply asked during the interview, would you be open to any position or is this the only position you're interested in? Um, And my friend immediately said, because she recognized it felt like a good cultural fit. So she immediately said, you know, I'd love to talk to you about any opportunities that you have to see if it's a good fit for both of us. So I think that's the key there. It really boils down to finding that right person, that person has the initiative that you want, that has the values that you think are appropriate for your company and deciding what is the right fit for them. Don't force someone into a square hole or a square cut out when you know that that's a mismatch. We do it a lot, probably more frequently with internal promotions where we're like, oh, they're close, they'll get it. And we move someone to a different place internally, but often we set them up for failure a year later, they're exiting the company when it was ultimately our fault. Uh-huh, yep. Too little coaching or feedback is the next one. It is yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, performance reviews and annual engagement surveys. Um, and sometimes people wait till that once a year situation happens at a company. Companies sometimes don't involve that process. So it's very interesting that leaders don't have time to give that feedback. Yep. Sad. Another one is not enough growth and advancement opportunities. Yeah. And I think that ties back to our really training and development, right? Growth just mm-hmm. comes from you being able to develop, but advancement opportunities means you have a flat organization or people at the top aren't leaving. Maybe they should, or 
sometimes, you know, what's right for an organization is to create some positions in between those and create that career leveling. So yeah, it's interesting organizations have those challenges. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. The next one is feeling devalued or unrecognized. Um, And they actually quoted some statistics about from the manager's part of this survey about how difficult they find it to make the time to thoughtfully recognize people. That if we were to give managers the okay to be like, just, hey, good job, keep it up, probably get that all day long. But what every leader realizes is the thoughtlessness that goes into a statement like that can become condescending or disingenuine. And ultimately, your team doesn't respond to it. Yeah. The next one was stress from overwork or lack of balance. Yeah, we're seeing that a lot during the pandemic um, in regards to burnout and uh, work-life balance. I think organizations need to do a better job of not running too lean. That's important. It is. You have to be honest about what your folks are going through. Actually, at the um, at the toxic job that we talk about occasionally, I remember a specific incident where I was uh, dealing a lot with someone in my family who was struggling at that time in their life. And for the record, as you guys have heard me and Maria joke about, the beginning of the pandemic, we were absolutely working all the time, any hour of the night. And I don't mean I don't mean I was literally doing some work 24 hours a day, but I was absolutely available and on call 24 hours a day. And I did get called at the craziest hours of the day. So I was still doing what I needed. But I remember my boss saying, I think you need to set boundaries with your family. And I was like, whoa, hold up. I think I need to set boundaries with my job because you were interfering with things that matter. And it doesn't, that doesn't happen with everyone to that extreme. But I think the one you're talking about, that one happens. And here's what happens, guys. Your team decides, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take one for the team. We're all going to take just a little bit extra work, right? And they somehow manage to get it done. And then we start thinking as leaders, oh, well, they're getting it done. And we don't pause long enough to ask ourselves, how are they getting it done? What have they changed about their lives? I also think that there are some managers in the world. These are the ones that I often call bad managers. There are some managers in the world who look at that differently and they go, oh, see, they're going to fill their time with whatever work I give them. So If I give them less, they're going to make it look like it takes 40 hours. It's clear they can do more. That's not the way all people think, guys. And when you go into leading your team from a perspective of they're going to do as little as possible, guess what? Eventually, you're going to get employees who do as little as possible. The last one is loss of trust or confidence in leadership. Um, And this one could be direct leaders or it could be senior leadership. And interestingly, these are not in the order of importance. These were just listed. Okay, so if you want to know what order they usually fall in by the book. 
But what you will find over and over and over again in anyone's surveys, go to someone reputable. PricewaterhouseCoopers is absolutely reputable when it comes to disengagement. Gallup is another great option when it comes to engaged or disengaged employees. But if you look at any survey, you will often find that trust is one of the most important things that employees need from their employer. And often it will be cited as the reason people leave. I agree with you. So such a great book, Michelle. We don't want to give away too many teasers. What's your biggest takeaway from this book that you would want to share with the readers and really encourage them to go back and read it? So I would say the biggest thing depends on who is listening. If you are an HR professional, this is the advice. Stop protecting your managers. Stop protecting them. And I don't mean throw them under the bus. I mean, often we have a gut feeling that what we're hearing is not true because we've heard rumors around the water cooler. People talk to HR professionals about the tough stuff. So I talked to your managers. You will never, if you go back to these seven things, as an HR professional, we will never be able to make sure that the work meets the interview process because that's on the manager. We will never be able to watch the employee and make sure it was a good fit. We will never be the ones to coach or give them feedback. We can create a career ladder, but it's up to the manager to make that available through them. We can't be there to make them feel valued or recognized because we're not out there watching do the things that are great. We can't push back instead of giving them more work. And we can't be the ones that either lie to them or are honest with them. None of those things fall within the realm of what we can control in your department. I think you said it fantastic. So that's great from an HR perspective. What about from everyone else? What about those managers? Ask for the truth. Not even from your employee, because honestly, your employee is probably not likely to come to you and say, I feel devalued the way you talk to me and the way you ignore everything I do. Most employees are never going to tell you that hard stuff, but I promise you, your HR team knows unless you have the most ridiculous HR person on the planet. But everywhere I've ever worked, every company I've ever worked with, the HR team knows. Well, you heard it first here, listeners. If you are a leader, if you're an HR, and if you're an employee that you just want to read up on some of these things and give some feedback to the organization you work for, go grab this book. It's on audiobooks. It's, you know, e-read. It's hand paper. Whatever you want. So... Stay tuned until our next series. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.